0: Well, I hope you had a great Easter. I'm sure some of you went home and got to be with your families for Easter. We celebrated Easter for the first time with a new church that we planted uh, last fall. And some of you know about that, and I don't have time to go into all the details, but but we planted a church last fall called The City. It meets Wednesday nights. Uh, So much was happening in Raider Church and through Raider Church over the last five years. We had a lot of people asking for something similar for their families, and so we did that last fall. And so this Easter, we got to celebrate for the first time together as a church, and we had nearly 1,000 people join us at The Center uh, for our very first Easter celebration. It was amazing, uh, and, and God did incredible things there, and then um, I got to go home with my family after that for an Easter lunch with my family. I had brothers and people who had come in town, family who had come in town to celebrate Easter with us, with our church, and um, we're, we're there all in our, our Easter clothes. We're going to take a big family picture, and my son walks in, Levi, with a Dr. Pepper, uh, a full clothes Dr. Pepper and drops it on the ground and it literally erupts like a volcano all over the entire family. Everyone was soaked in Dr. Pepper. My wife had a nice Easter dress on, soaked in Dr. Pepper. Levi's nice khaki pants, soaked in Dr. Pepper. My my brother's newly remodeled house, soaked in Dr. Pepper. I mean, his eyes started twitching when he saw this Dr. Pepper erupt and and go everywhere. It was hilarious, but but we had a great time with our family. I hope you did too. And this Easter though, we started a new series uh, called A New Day. And we started that for Raider Church and the city. And so because I know some of you weren't here and may not have had a chance to get caught up with what we talked about on Easter, I'm going to give you just a short recap, and then we're going to get into what we're talking about tonight. But we started a new series called It's a New Day. And it's based on what Matthew said in Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, when he said this. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. Matthew writing here in Matthew chapter 28, Christ has died on the cross, Saturday has passed with him in the tomb, and now it's Sunday morning. And Matthew is writing, looking back on what happened, on the events of what happened that Sunday morning. And now knowing that Christ has been risen from the dead and all that has happened as a result of that, he's writing now in Matthew 28 and he's saying a new day has dawned. That Sunday morning when Christ rose from the grave, a new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel, the Lord, came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said, Happen. And so we said on Easter that this new day that has dawned means that we can live without fear. Just like the angel told the ladies, hey, don't, don't, don't be afraid. We can live without fear because Christ has risen from the dead. And so we said this new day means that we've got a new kind of faith. A new kind of faith that's based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We've got a new kind of faith. This faith isn't about keeping you in line. It's not about making you do the right things and keeping you from doing the wrong things. No, no, no. This is a new kind of faith that's based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul said, if Christ hasn't been raised, our our teaching, our worship church, everything that we're doing is useless. If Christ has not been raised from the dead. So we said, we're an event people. Our faith is based on the event of the resurrection that had happened. And that Jesus rose from the dead. And those who place their faith in him, Jesus said, as the resurrection and the life, even though they die one day, they will live. And so we're an event people. Our faith is based on this event that happened where Jesus rose from dead the grave. We said we've got a new kind of faith. We said we've got a new source of our faith. That our faith isn't in our circumstances, our situation, our finances, our health, are the stuff that we have, the job that we have, the power that we have. Or we don't it, it's not based on those things. That's not the source of our faith. The source of our faith is the resurrection. And so we believe that no matter what happens in this life, we experience that even tragedy and trials, we can go through those things with hope because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe in a Savior who died for us in our place for our sin on the cross and then rose from the grave. And so because we believe in that, we believe in a life after death. And so the disciples and you and I no longer have to live in fear. That's what Hebrews 2 says, that Jesus came and he, he broke the power. He canceled the power that Satan had over us with fear and death and sin. He, he canceled. He broke that power. And so you and I don't have to live in fear anymore. The disciples didn't live in fear. They went to their graves preaching and talking about Jesus. Even when they were threatened to stop talking about Jesus for their lives. They, they wouldn't stop. They were no longer afraid of death. They were afraid before Jesus rose from the grave. But now that Jesus has risen from the dead. They've got a new source of faith. It's a life after death kind of faith. So we said we've got a new faith. This new day that has dawned means a new faith. And today, tonight, we're going to see what else this new day that's dawned has in store for us. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see more about what this new day that has dawned means and what that looks like for us. And so let me ask you a question as we get started with what we're talking about tonight. Have you ever made a promise you couldn't keep? Have you ever made a promise you couldn't keep? Like, I'm sure, like, growing up, you made your parents some promises. Like, I promise, if we get the dog, I will take care of it, okay? Or maybe, maybe you made this promise to your parents even recently. I promise I'm going to do better this semester. I'm going to make better grades. I'm going to do better. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to go to my classes. Like, I promise I'll go to my class, okay? Or I promise I'll get a job, okay? I'll get the job. You can stop bothering me about it because I'm going to get the job. I'm sure you've made a lot of promises to your parents. Some of them, maybe you've kept. Others of them, maybe you haven't kept so well. Like, maybe you're still not getting up for that 8 a.m. class, okay? So... My wife asked me to make a promise to her when we got married, like before we got married, she knew I was going to be a youth pastor. And I probably like on my mind, was it like how I'm going to make the most amount of money if I'm going to be a youth pastor? OK, so she knew we're going into ministry. And so she 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 came to me. She said, I, I, I know Like, that's not what you're passionate about. That's not what you're concerned with. Like you're, you're, we're going into ministry. So I'm not expecting, like, we're going to, we're going to make a lot of money and all that kind of stuff. She said, but can you make me this promise? Okay. This is the one thing that I'm concerned about. There's a one thing I care about and that I want to be able to have in this life. And I want to know if you can be able to provide it for me. And I want you to promise me that will, you'll always be able to get this for me. And I was like, well, I don't know if I, you're going to tell me what it is first. I, I don't know if I can just make a blanket promise. She said, I need you to promise me that we will always have money for face wash. (laughs) Face wash? Like, I that that's it. Like, that's all you want. I mean, you want me to promise you'll always have, we'll always have money for face wash. And, and listen, I don't know why I said this at this time. I, you know, I, I guess I was just trying to be, you know, smart or cute or something. I don't know. I said, well, I don't know. Maybe we won't. I, I can't promise you that. How, how am I going to know if we're always going to have money for face wash? And she was very concerned at this moment. Like, am I making a right decision? If I'm not going to have money for face wash, we may have a problem here. And so we get married, And I'm taking a shower one day, and I look down, and I see in our shower this perfect circle of shampoo bottles, okay? And I look down and there's like body wash and shampoo bottles and all this kind of stuff. And, and they're, they're in a circle, like towering above another smaller bottle in the middle of all of the taller bottles. And so I look down and I pull the, the, the bottle that was hidden amongst all the shampoo and body wash. bottles. I, I pull this, this little bottle out from, from behind this wall, this defense wall of shampoo bottles and body And it was her face wash. She hid it because she didn't want me using it. She was afraid we may not have money for face wash. So I'm going to get as much face wash as I can possibly get. You're not going to use it. This is all for me. And so she hid it. She was so concerned. She wanted me to promise that we would always have money for face wash. And I couldn't make that promise. And so I guess it scared her a little bit. Okay. Now, we also have had our kids make us some of those same promises maybe you've made to your parents. We had a dog and they wanted some guinea pigs. And they said, hey, we'll take care of the guinea pigs. We'll clean the cage. We'll feed it. We'll clean up after it, all that kind of stuff. And we said, okay, okay, we'll get, we'll get the guinea pigs. And they did. They actually took care of the guinea pig. They cleaned the cage. They fed it. Here was the only problem is the guinea pigs were a huge mess. They constantly made a mess in our kitchen. And so my wife and I had to break our promise and get rid of the guinea pigs. Okay, because even though they were taking care of it, even though they held up their end of the bargain, even though they kept their promise, we couldn't because they were just a little bit too much of a mess for my wife and I. So sometimes we make promises We can't keep. And in the Bible, a promise is often called a covenant. In the Bible, a promise is often called a covenant. And so throughout the scripture, we see all kinds of different covenants between people and other people. But then specifically the ones that we really study in the Bible are covenants that God makes with his people. And one of the most famous covenants in the Old Testament that's why the Old Testament is called the Old Testament. Testament is just another word for covenant. And so, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the most famous one, is probably the Sinai Covenant, the, the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. When Moses went up on the mountain, he got the Ten Commandments, he came down, he sees them worshiping the golden calf, he throws them down in anger, he has to go back, he gets the new tablets. Okay, this is the law that God gives to Moses for the nation of Israel. It's called the Sinai Covenant. And it's really what's referred to when we talk about the Old Covenant. We're talking about the law, this Sinai Covenant, this covenant that God made With Israel at Mount Sinai. Now here's the problem with this covenant. Israel couldn't keep it. They made a covenant with God. A promise. A contract with God. And they couldn't keep it. And so God says all throughout the Old Covenant. The Old Testament. He continues to say. There's a time coming, there's a day coming when I will make a new covenant with Israel. When I will make a new covenant. And so if you got your Bible, I I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 31. We're gonna be talking about tonight what this new covenant looks like and what it means for us. What does this new covenant look like? Because a new day that has dawned means... A new covenant, a new contract between God and his people has dawned, has been inaugurated. There's a new covenant now. And it's the covenant that you and I as followers of Jesus, as Gentiles, are actually under if you're a follower of Jesus. It's this new covenant that God has made with his people. And so in the old covenant, God prophesied through different prophets, One of them being Jeremiah, another one's Ezekiel, we'll look at here in just a second. And he tells them about this new covenant because Israel couldn't keep their end of the bargain. They couldn't keep the old covenant. He continued to say, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And here's what the new covenant is going to look like. And so a new day means a new covenant. And we're going to see what this new day and new covenant means. Look like. So go to Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. And if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, just jump on your phone, on your web browser, go to radiochurch.com, select message notes, and you can follow along with us. The verses and the points, everything we're talking about will be there for you. But let's go, let's see what this new covenant looks like. The day is coming, God's speaking through this prophet, Jeremiah, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant, this new covenant, will not be like the one I made with their ancestors, the old covenant, when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. He's talking about how when God rescued them from slavery to the Egyptians, he brings them out, he brings them through the the Red Sea, they're passing through the desert, and at this time, God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai after he rescues them from slavery to Egypt. And so God says, they broke that covenant, that Sinai covenant, the covenant of the law, And where we read about the sacrificial system and the ways that that Israel would relate to God and being relationship with God. And that's what the purpose of these covenants were that God would make with his people. And even today, the new covenant that we're going to read about. The purpose of this covenant is to give us a way to relate to God, to know God and to be in relationship with him. That was always the purpose of these covenants. It was to give his people the way by which they would know God, relate to God and be in relationship with him. And so God says they broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I'm going to make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And watch this. So we get now we know there's a new covenant. And now he's going to begin to describe what this new covenant is going to look like. And God says this in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. He says, I will put my instructions, my word, my law deep within them. And I will write them my instructions, the law. I will write these things on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so God says in the new covenant, I'm going to put my instructions deep inside of them. Before, it was this external law, this external code that you had to, like a checklist, had to live up to and attain. And it didn't work. Israel broke that covenant. And so God says in the new covenant, Instead of giving this external code or or law that they have to follow and live up to, I'm going to put it on their hearts. I'm going to write my instructions literally on their hearts, and I'm going to be their God, and they will be my people. Now, God would tell us more through another prophet about what this new covenant was going to look like, what this new day was going to look like. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says this. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony and stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So a new day means a new covenant. And this new day, this new covenant means this. It means a new heart. A new heart coming? Coming soon? No? There it is. Sorry, our system is slow. Okay, so the new day, the new covenant means a new heart. And here's what this new heart looks like. Here's what this new heart will do inside of you. First of all, this new heart is a heart that loves. God says in this new day, this new covenant that I'm going to make with Israel and that we end up as the church getting to participate in, we receive a new heart and this heart loves God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, I was pursuing Israel like a husband who loves his wife. But Israel continued to go after what God would call prostitutes, adulterous affairs. Where Israel would turn their back on God and worship and follow other idols. The idols and the the gods, lowercase gods, false gods, false idols of the nations that were surrounding them. And God says, I, I continue to love Israel like a husband loves an adulterous wife. In fact, there's a whole book called the book of Hosea where God takes one of his prophets and says, Hosea, you're gonna go and marry a prostitute. And Hosea's like, no, no, God, I'm, I'm good. You know, that's all right. I don't, I don't wanna marry a prostitute. And God's like, no, 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 you're gonna marry a prostitute because it's gonna be an illustration of my heart For my bride, Israel, who continues, despite my love and affection and wooing and drawing her to myself, will continue to go and cheat on you. And Hosea ends up taking this prostitute for a wife. And despite how much he loves her and pursues her, she continues to go and sleep with other men. I mean, can't you just hear the heart of God saying, I, I love you and I want you to love me. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to show you how much I love you. And, and, and despite my love for you and my wooing and my drawing you to myself, you continue to turn away from me and go after other lovers. And so God's heart was broken. Israel continued to disobey this covenant that God made with Israel. And God's heart was broken because he loved them. And his heart was, his desire was for them to love him back. You see, God wants a love relationship with his people. It's why he put an option in the Garden of Eden. And he said, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one tree. You see, he had to give Adam and Eve an option for it to be true love. And what did Adam and Eve do? They chose to turn away from God and to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And in so doing, they cheated on God. They went after another lover. You see, God had to present an option to Adam and Eve for it to be a genuine love relationship. And God's heart is to have that love relationship with Israel. And God's heart was, is, is to have a love relationship with you. The problem is, is we always, our hearts always wonder to other lovers. But God wants to have a Love relationship with you. And so God promises that in this new day, this new covenant, we would have this new heart and this new heart that God would give us. He would take out this heart of stone that's hard and stubborn and he would give us a heart of flesh that's soft and tender and responsive to his wooing and to his drawing. This new heart would feel and sense the love of God and the desire of God in his heart to be in that love relationship with us. And instead of our hearts wandering, in this new covenant, this new day with this new heart, our hearts would desire him. We couldn't really explain it. Just like I can't totally explain why my heart is drawn to my wife, why I love her and why I'm so in love with her. Sure, there's reasons I can point to, just like there's things about God that we can point to, why we love him and why we pursue him, the great things about him. But there are certain parts of my love for my wife, Darby, that I can't fully and totally explain. It's just that my heart wants her. It desires Desires her when I'm near her. It lights up. I get excited when I'm close to her. There's something in my heart that desires her and wants her, and I can't totally explain. I can't quite put my finger on some of it, and that's the new heart that God gives us in this new covenant. We can't fully explain it. We're not totally sure why, but we are drawn to Him like a moth is drawn to light. We are drawn to him. We want him. We desire to know him. Because we've been given a new heart that loves and pursues God. Ezekiel said, I'm going to take out your stony, stubborn, hard heart. And I'm going to give you this heart, this tender and responsive and soft heart to God so that when God speaks and when he woos and when he draws you in, like a moth to light, you go. And your heart says, yes, God, I want to be in that relationship with you. I wanna know you. I wanna be near you. I wanna be close to you. My heart loves you. We've been given a new heart that loves. Secondly, we've been given a new heart that obeys God. We've been given a new heart that obeys God. Jeremiah said this, that I will put my instructions deep within you and I will write my instructions on your heart." In Ezekiel 36, the NIV translation says this, that I will put my spirit within you, and it will move you to keep all my righteousness. God said, I will put my spirit, my presence inside of you in this new covenant and my spirit, my presence will move you From the inside out, this isn't an external pressure to follow a checklist or a code or to do the right thing because I've got to stay in line and i got to do the right thing because God doesn't want me to have any fun. He just wants me to do the right thing and not do the wrong things. No, that's not at all what this is. This is God placing his spirit inside of you. And there's something from within you that moves you and gives you a new desire to follow and to obey God and to hate sin. You've got his spirit inside of you and it moves you. Paul said, you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, we don't quite register like the power and the depth and the meaning behind that. But let me just try to give you a picture of you being a temple of the Holy Spirit, like the best I can, I'm gonna to try to give you a picture of this and what this means and what this looks like. When God rescued Israel out of slavery to the Egyptians, you, you, you might remember if you've read it in Exodus, That they're going, they're they're headed towards the Red Sea, and Egypt comes in and starts, the Egyptians come up behind them, and and they decide, hey, we let them go. We shouldn't have let them go. We're going to go and get them and bring them back and make them our slaves again. And so they begin to pursue them, and between Israel and Egypt, all of a sudden, this fire comes down and blocks Egypt, the armies of Egypt, from coming and getting the Israelites. So there's this fire that's raging that's keeping them from pursuing the Israelites. The Red Sea parts. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on on dry land to the other side. The fire goes away. The Egyptian army comes after and begins to pursue the Israelites once again. The waters come down, totally wipe out the Egyptians. And then on the other side, on the other side of the Red Sea, then God would begin to lead Israel By fire at night and with a pillar of cloud at day. Like that's how God came down and led Israel from that day forward. There there was a, a fire that would come, a pillar of fire like from heaven to earth that would move and would lead them and show them the direction to go. And by day it was a cloud. And so Israel knew where to go and which direction to take, because God was literally physically there by fire and cloud, leading them and guiding them in the direction they were to go. And then God would set up this tabernacle. It's called the Tent of Meeting. And this is where God would come down again by fire and fill this tabernacle with this fire and with this cloud presence that was so thick. Sometimes it would say that people couldn't enter. They couldn't even physically enter into this tent, this tabernacle where God was because the the cloud and the fire were so thick. But God would invite Moses into this Tabernacle to meet with him. And the Bible says that God would meet with Moses face to face like a friend would talk to a friend. And so Moses would go into this tent that God had made that had set up for Moses to come and meet with him. And so Moses would go in and then literally the entire nation of Israel would watch this fire come down and fill this tent. They called it the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Fire would come down from heaven and smoke would fill this tent tent and all of Israel would know God just came down and he's meeting with Moses right now. And they would all come out of their tents when this would happen. And they would bow down and they would begin to worship as they saw God come down from heaven in this fiery, cloudy presence, fill the tent of meeting and begin to meet with Moses. And one of the things I love, uh, it's in Exodus 33, Moses is meeting with God in the, in this tent, this tabernacle, And Israel comes out and they're worshiping God and then God's done kind of meeting with Moses and Moses leaves the tent and it's like the fire comes up and Moses' assistant Joshua doesn't leave. He just just stays there. It was like what he just experienced, He, he didn't want to be over. He saw God meeting with Moses and Moses has left but Joshua, like in this stunned silence, is just staying there like, what, what just happened? In absolute awe of the power and the presence of God. When they finally had a physical temple, when they settled in the promised land, they, Solomon built this temple for God to come down and to meet again with the high priest. And when the temple was finished and they kind of prayed over it and they dedicated it, once again, this fiery cloud from heaven comes down and consumes the temple. And again, it's so thick. The presence of God is so thick that they could not enter. It says they could not even enter into this temple. And so when Paul Tells these Christians, some of them Jewish Christians, you are now the temple of the living God. Now you may have a picture, or at least somewhat of an idea of what that must have meant to a Jewish Christian, a Jewish follower of Jesus. Who knew and heard the stories of old of this fiery cloud coming down and filling the tent of meeting or the temple when it was dedicated and knowing? Wait a second. The temple of God is where God resides, it's where he dwells, it's where he meets with the high priest, it's where he met with Moses. You're saying we are now the temple of the living God? And Paul's saying, Yes, you are now a temple of the living God. His spirit lives. Inside of you and in the new covenant, God prophesied and said through his prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and others in this new covenant, I'm going to put my spirit in you and my spirit, my presence, this fiery, holy presence is going to burn inside of you and give you a desire that you didn't have before to follow me and to obey me and to turn from sin and to hate sin. You're going to have this burning desire inside of you to follow me. And you may not be able to fully put your finger on it. You may not be able to fully understand it. You're just going to know. You hear God's word or you pray or you worship and your heart starts beating. It's like, yes, I want this. I love this. And you may not totally be sure why. Because before other things excited you, But now it's exciting to be in the presence of God and to obey God and to follow God and to serve God and to worship God. Romans 7 says this we no longer serve God, we no longer obey God in the old way of the written code with a checklist, with this external pressure. And so I don't have to push you, I don't have to prod you or or kick you to get you to do the things of God or to obey God. No, no, no. All we do is teach God's word and pray and worship. And I believe that God's spirit in you will give you a desire from the inside out to follow God and to do the things that God wants you to do. There's no force here. There's no coercion here you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit inside of you and it moves you from the inside out to follow and obey. Romans says in the new way of the spirit, that's how you follow God. That's how you obey God in the new way of the Holy Spirit. He changes your desires and he empowers you and gives you the ability now to obey. You didn't have the ability to obey before, but now because God has placed his spirit within you and given you a new heart to obey. And this spirit that he's placed inside of you moves you from the inside out. Now you have the desire and you have the ability to follow God and to obey and to turn from sin. Before you didn't, but now you do. In this new day, in this new covenant, you've got a new heart that obeys God. You've got his spirit inside of you that moves you to obey, that enables you to obey. And then finally, we have a heart that worships God, that longs to worship God. This new day, this new covenant, this new heart that you've received, if you're a follower of Jesus, longs to worship You know, every single one of us are wired for worship. Every single one of us are. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, because you were created by God in the image of God, you were designed, you were created, you are wired for worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? You see, God said in this new covenant, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And it's going to give you a desire to worship me and me alone. You know, one of the reasons that Israel broke the old covenant over and over and over again, Ezekiel said, and actually in verse 25, it was because they continued to worship idols. Things they were not designed or created to worship. In Jeremiah, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, when I give you this new heart and put my spirit within you, I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, they will worship me and me alone. They will not give their worship to another. But Israel continued to go after and worship idols, false gods, Romans, Paul said in Romans that they would trade the truth of God for a lie. And they would worship and serve created things rather than the eternal creator. And so some of us are worshiping created things, things we were not designed, things we were not wired to worship. And because we worship and serve created things rather than worshiping and serving the eternal creator, we continue to find ourselves not being satisfied, not being fulfilled because we continue to go after and we give our worship to things that will never satisfy. You know, it's interesting when you read through Ezekiel 36, like before God starts talking about this new covenant, this new day. God continues to say you're going after all these idols and so I'm having to discipline you and because I'm disciplining you uh, the other nations are looking and they're saying look look at Israel that they, they their God saved them from Egypt just to discipline them and to kill them off and to bring and let them be destroyed by other nations and to be taken into exile and God's getting upset because he's saying because of your disobedience because of your idol worship my name God says is being defamed among the nations. Because of your disobedience, because you're worshiping idols, because you've turned your back on me, God says, my name is being defamed among the nations. And so God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, and I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. You're going to have this desire to worship me and me alone. And God says this in Ezekiel 36, and I'm not doing this for your sake. You see, some of us think that The gospel is all about us. And yes, God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for us. God's heart does love us and want us to be in relationship with him. But in Ezekiel 36, when this new covenant is promised, God actually says this, I'm not gonna do all of this for your sake. Actually, I'm doing it for my sake because I'm tired of my name being defamed among the nations. God actually says, I'm gonna make a new covenant with you for my sake. Because you continue to give your worship to created things rather than to the eternal creator. And so he says, I'm doing this for my sake, for my name, for my glory. And you might think, I don't like that. That doesn't sound right to me. But when you read through the scripture, God is all about himself. He's all about his glory among the nations. Who else's glory would you think else he, he should be about? Yours? You think God should exist for your glory among the nations? Sometimes we live like that, don't we? I think life is about making much of ourselves and celebrating how many followers we have rather than making much of God and being concerned with and celebrating how many followers He has? And so God says, I'm all about my name, my worship, my glory. And before you think that's self-centered, David said this in Psalm 63. He said, my lips will glorify you, will worship you, will sing you. And in this, my soul is satisfied. God is about his worship, not just because he's about himself, but because he's for your joy and your joy and your pleasure and your satisfaction will only be found in worshiping God. So David says in Psalm 63, my lips will glorify you. I will sing your praises forever. And in this, my soul is satisfied. Some of your souls are not satisfied because you're worshiping and serving created things rather than serving and worshiping the eternal creator. So God says, I'm gonna make a new covenant. There's gonna be a new day. I'm gonna put my spirit in you. I'm gonna give you a new heart. And this heart is going to desire to worship me. And in this, in this worship of me, your soul will be satisfied. And so here's what I want you to catch tonight from all of this. A new day, Matthew said it's a new day. A new day is dawn, means a new covenant and a new heart. This new day means a new covenant. And a new heart and praise God for a new covenant. Because not only could Israel not keep the old covenant, not only did Israel break the old covenant, but you did too. And you might be thinking, what are you talking about? I've never been in a covenant, I've never entered into an old covenant or a contract with God. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die. And that you've actually broken God's law. You see God's law in this old covenant, this Sinai covenant said, if you have any other gods before me, if you worship anything else besides me, you're guilty of idolatry. If you lie, you're guilty of being a a liar. If you have sex with anyone other than your spouse, you're guilty of adultery. And then Jesus comes along and says this, if you even lust after a man or woman who's not your spouse, you're guilty of adultery in your heart. He says, if you covet something of your neighbors, you compare yourself and you want what they have, you're guilty of coveting. kill someone you're guilty of murder but then Jesus comes along and says but I tell you even if you have hate for your heart for another person you're guilty of murder in your heart and so according to God's law his standard of righteousness you and I are adulterer, lying thieving, murdering coveting lawbreakers every single one of us You know, a lot of people will try to tell you, you are fine just the way that you are. You're good enough. You're good enough. You're fine just the way that you are. And we kind of know what they mean. We get that from Genesis 1 that we're all created in the image of God. But make no mistake, you are not good enough. Like, I don't want to burst that bubble that We hear on social media that that you're fine, that you're good enough, that nothing needs to change, that that, that everything's fine. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're guilty. You're a lawbreaker. You're not good enough. You broke God's law. You broke the old covenant. Just like Israel did. And just like them, you're guilty of breaking the old covenant. Guilty of breaking God's law. And so when you stand before God one day, if you're guilty, does that mean heaven or hell? Well, that would mean hell. You see, we broke God's law. We couldn't keep the old covenant just like Israel couldn't. But thank God for a new covenant. And in the new covenant, Jesus comes, and Paul says, completely meets the righteous requirements of the law. In other words, Jesus met and fulfilled the old covenant. You and I couldn't do it. We couldn't reach or attain God's standard. We broke the law. But Jesus comes... And fully meets all the righteous requirements of the law. He meets it. He fulfills it in every single way. He was perfect and without sin. So we couldn't meet the law. We couldn't hold our end of the covenant. But Jesus comes along and he does. And he meets every single requirement that the law had, that the covenant had. And then 2 Corinthians 5 says this. He who knew no sin, Jesus, was perfect and sinless. Never broke the law. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself and the punishment for our sin through his death on the cross. And then it says this, he who knew no sin became sin so that in Christ, so that those who are in Christ would become the righteousness of God. In other words, would become right with God. So you couldn't keep the old covenant, but Jesus did. And if you've given your life to Jesus and the Bible says you're you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're hidden in him and you receive the righteousness of Christ, he gives it to you. You couldn't attain it. You couldn't keep the old covenant, but Jesus did. And when you give your life to Jesus, you receive his righteous standing and you're right with God. You know, God, Ephesians 1 says, knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Like from the very beginning, you might be thinking, why did he start with this old covenant if he knew we couldn't keep it? Why not just start out with the new covenant? Well, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. In fact, all throughout the old covenant, you see this prophecy of this new covenant, this new day, and this Messiah that was going to come and inaugurate this new day and this new covenant. Genesis chapter 22 Abraham takes his son Isaac up onto a mountain and God says, you're going to take your son Isaac and you're going to sacrifice him as an act of worship to me. And I've never understood why that story is in children's Bibles, right? Like we have this kid's Bible, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible and it says this, the the tagline on the Bible is, every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. The name of Jesus. And so we would take this Jesus storybook Bible and we have and do read it with our kids. But my kids, my my boys especially, hate the story about Abraham taking Isaac up on the altar to kill him, right? I mean, they're probably thinking, why are you reading this to us? Like, are you thinking they're gonna do the same thing? I mean, this story is disturbing to them. And rightfully so. Because Abraham, because of God's word, takes his son and ties him up and put him on an altar like God said to do and raises a knife to kill his son, his one and only son. And he raises this knife. Before he comes down, God says, Stop, Abraham. I've provided a sacrifice for you so that you don't have to kill your son. And when I read that story with my boys, as much as they hate it, I try to lighten it and I try to make it sound a little bit nicer and better and cleaner by saying, but God, but God provided the sacrifice, but God provided the sacrifice. He didn't kill his son. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Don't, don't run away from God. God provided the sacrifice. I tried to make it sound cleaner and nicer and I'll never forget one of the times I was doing that. I was trying to make it sound easier and nicer and more palatable and God, I never will, I'll never forget this God spoke to me in that moment as I was trying to explain away this story to my kids and say listen I, I, I may have provided Abraham a way out with the sacrifice but I went through with it I went through with it I killed my one and only son so that you Isaac Isaac could go free, so that you could live. I killed my one and only son. I went through with it. Every story whispers his name. This new day, this new covenant that would come. And the old covenant You had to bring your own sacrifice. You had to bring your own spotless lamb to be killed in your place for your sin. But in the new covenant, God provides a sacrifice for your sin. His perfect spotless lamb. His one and only son. The Bible says it was according to his plan and foreknowledge and purpose to kill His one and only son, so that you, Isaac, could live. So that me as Isaac could live and go free. But here's the difference in the new covenant. The lamb that was slain in our place for our sin gets up, is risen back to life. So that all those who would put their faith in the new covenant sacrifice for sin would have their sin completely forgiven. They'd be made right with God and they could know for sure that when they die, they're going to heaven and they would receive eternal life. Would you pray with me? And tonight, if you're here in you examine your heart and you don't see that same softness, tenderness, love for God in your heart tonight. Don't leave this place saying, I got to do better. I got to try harder. If there's been areas in your life where you've been disobedient, where you continue to sin and go back to the same sin and struggle with the same sin don't leave here tonight in your heart saying i'm going to do better i'm going to try harder if there hasn't been that passion to worship god and god alone and you've been giving yourself and worshipping and serving created things rather than the creator don't don't leave here saying i'm going to i'm going to do better i'm going to i'm going to try harder And so if any of those things have been true of you, and you look at this new heart that we're talking about and saying, that's, that's not really me. I'm not too sure I, my heart measures up to this new heart and this new covenant. Do not leave here saying, I will try better and I will do more and I will try harder to be like that. That is not the prayer of the new covenant. Doing better and trying harder is not the prayer of the new covenant. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, your prayer is, Jesus, I trust in your payment of my fine and I give my life to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, but you're feeling God speak to you and saying, hey, your heart doesn't look like this right now then this becomes your prayer. Move me. Move me, God. Ezekiel chapter 36. I will put my spirit within you and it will move you to keep all of my righteous decrees. So make that your prayer instead. Not I'm going to try harder. Not God, I promise I'm going to do better. No, God, you've placed your spirit within me and you've given me a new heart. So move me, God. Move me in this moment right now move me by your spirit and give me a new heart and a new mind change my thoughts and my desires and my passions change them god move me from the inside out god would you move us tonight through your word, as we pray right now, as we worship God, would you move us by your Holy Spirit? Fill us with your Spirit and move us, God, in this moment to keep all of your righteous decrees. Thank you for a new day and a new covenant and a new heart. Thank you for your love for us that you continue to pursue us even when we continue to return to rebel and go our own way. God, in this moment, By your spirit, move us to return to you and to come back to you with all of our hearts. We pray that in Jesus' name.